Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Subscriptions for Authors podcast. My name is Mike Levins. I'm a science fiction thriller author of a dozen novels. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Ream, and I'm also a college student at the moment. And my co-host, Amelia Rose, who we'll meet in a second, she's a best-selling semi-romance author. She makes six figures a year in subscriptions, and she's now been a full-time author for the last three years. And together, we're going to share our insights on how to plan for 2023 or just the year ahead if you're listening to this in 2023 or in future years we want to help you set yourself up and your business for success in the future year whether you're a beginning author who's just getting started someone like me who i've been doing this for a while but i'm not making a full-time living from my writing or someone like amelia who's been doing this for a while and is making a full-time living from her writing no matter where you are at in your spectrum i think we have a lot of interesting insights in here a lot of actual tips for you to be able to grow your business, be able to become a better writer, and ultimately be able to develop a great game plan that can help you live a healthier and happier life. So we're going to dive into it. But before we officially get there, I just want to say that if you are an already regular listener of the podcast, you should definitely stay tuned to what we have coming. Because in the coming weeks, we have some really interesting episodes releasing all about helping you to start your subscription. Definitely stay tuned for this in future weeks. And if you haven't already shared this podcast with a friend who you think would enjoy it, that's the best way you can help us out is just by spreading the word of this podcast. So if you enjoy it, definitely share it with a friend. That's all we ask of you. And for now, I'll stop taking up more of your time and dive right into this podcast. Planning as authors, I find is like very difficult, especially as indies. Or trad published authors who are thinking about going more hybrid or integrating more indie focused stuff because it's not like that simple path of a query, editor buys it, publisher, and it's all out of our hands. Even though, to be honest, the process is way more complicated than that, but we can at least plan for it in a linear process. Most jobs, most careers, you can kind of just follow the steps. We have to make our own steps. Yeah. Harder. <laughs> That's it's, much it's very hard. So we're going to talk all about planning today. And I'm just curious, like off the bat, what do you kind of think are like the big important reasons that planning is like a really good thing to do? Because I know it seems necessary to plan, but, but is it like, why do you plan? Because I know you just finished planning for 2023. So this was actually the first year I've planned <laughs> plans in my author career. Most of the time I find stuff to do that I want to do for my community. And the next day I send assist my assistant an email and just break it all down. Like this is what we're doing. But it was actually really nice to plan this time. I started planning, I think in September for 2023. So I had four, four full months and I'm still like finishing up some stuff. But for me, it was very useful because I can actually break down exactly what the projects I want to work on instead of just coming up randomly with a bunch of them. And I get time to tweak things that I plan to do to make them even better for my audience. Because the more we actually do podcasts, the more I learn just about how I want to run my business. So it's really nice to like go back in there before I launched anything and be like, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to do it. I think that evolution is really interesting. You didn't start planning out in the beginning and, and now plan. I actually love that. And that might sound weird because we're talking about planning today, but I want to like kind of divide like who we're helping into two segments because I think that it's very different planning for someone like you, who's 
a six-figure author who is now a career author and has been for some time and has a very serious business that you have to get into somewhat boring, but very important things like cash flow and making sure that you can pay things out like contractors and all expenses that could come up. Like you have to plan for these things ahead of time because you don't have money to operate the business. That's not going to be too great. Now I might be wearing my Hawaiian shirt because I am manifesting. So it's very cold <laughs> out right now. It's like the coldest week I in America. No, it's like the coldest week in America in like 40 years. It's insane. So but at least when we're recording, we're recording like a few days before Christmas. This probably won't come out though until like a, a week or so. But regardless yeah. of when you're listening, it is cold now. I'm manifesting warmer times. I'm manifesting being on an island somewhere. What I would say about goal setting is that it's it's much about vision and where you want to be rather than getting bogged down and planning out every second of every day. So we're going to talk about some of the bigger principles and then we'll dive into you're just getting started as an author. You don't you're not full time yet. This is how you can plan and then you are full time. You might be someone who's making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. This is how you can plan. And then of course, since it's subscriptions for authors podcast, we're going to talk a bit about how subscriptions can fit into this picture when you're planning out your subscription, when it makes sense to do certain things for it, all of that good stuff. So talking about like the bigger principles of planning, I think it's first helpful to think about what we typically do wrong when planning. Like you could speak personally, what you see maybe in other people, what do you struggle with in planning? What typically do people get wrong? Do you think? Oh, that's a good one. I don't know. I know like Last year, when, the years that I didn't plan, I set these like really lofty goals for myself. And they were like, looking back on, at them now, there were goals that if I were to plan, not something I would want to do. So like to reach those goals, like for example, one of my goals that I had set was to reach like seven figures. And to do that, you would have to sell like a lot of books, obviously. And where I am now in my career, that's not really what I want to do. And I think for a lot of authors, we can get kind of lost in all the numbers. Like I have to sell so many books, but how much money are you going to be spending to sell all those books? And also you can't, when you start planning something, especially down to like every second of every day, you don't really have time for new projects or things that might come up that you really think are interesting. If you plan heavily, it's really hard to kind of have that wiggle room to do other projects that could come up after you go to a conference and learn stuff. That's super, super insightful. And I just want to start with like the goals that you were talking about, yeah. because I think the biggest mistake we we make is setting one goal. And I don't mean like one actual goal, because we probably have multiple goals in our life. What I mean by that is like, my goal is to, in writing, write 500,000 words and that be the singular writing goal. And I'm not suggesting that you then have like, oh, here's a qualitative goal of like, I want to feel this way like I'm writing. Like that that's helpful too. But what I'm suggesting is you should have like a worst case scenario, your target and a best case scenario. And you should plan to be the worst case scenarios, what you should plan yeah. for. So yeah. <laughs> a lot of times I saw this, I was watching a YouTube video from Ali Abdal. And he's a creator like all of us. And he, over the last five and a half years, has slowly grown his business to where he now makes about three million pounds a year, which is incredible. It, it has kind of happened without much planning, like just kind of naturally. But now he has more of a team and he feels like he kind of has to plan. So 
he planned to hit in 2022. His goal metric was 5 million pounds. It was growth from 3 million the year prior, which is a lot of growth, but not impossible. But what he started to realize was like, I'm not answering to investors. I'm answering to myself. Yeah. And I've now put so much pressure on myself to achieve this goal that I'm in meetings all day long, every second's planned out. What was supposed to be just a really fun dream, this business that I get to run, has now made me a prisoner of my own imagination. That's exactly what I fell into this year because I set that that lofty like a goal of seven figures and I'm like, wow, like what is what should I do to get to seven figures? What like how much money do I have to spend on ads and where do I have to release? I have to be on all these platforms. And then towards the end of the year, I was like, why did I even want to do that? Like, that's not something I run my own business. Why am I trying to get the seven figures when I'm perfectly happy where I am right now? And like, I still obviously want to grow, but I don't want to grow in that sort of way. I don't want to have all that pressure. I want to do what I want to do in my business. And I want to provide my readers who are my super fans what they want. And having all that pressure is just not worth it for me. Like seven figures to have all that pressure is not like something I want to do. It's an offsided quote, but when metrics become a target, they become meaningless. Yeah. And we constantly do that in the author world and thinking about the why, because it isn't always our fault. There's always a broader picture and conversation and social pressures on us. So I just want to mention a few things. I see two dangerous things in the author community. Now, I'm not afraid to call out being an author. So sorry if I, I get people a little angered, but I think you'll understand what I'm saying. A lot of early beginning authors seem like they're writing more for other authors than their readers and will even act on social media like that. And that's where drama could get in. This one did this. So in the new release, that's not what readers care about. But let's not just blame the, the beginning authors because that's not true that authors who are making seven figures don't do this. So authors who are making seven figures do the same thing. And they'll get caught up all in their new release ranking and what this one's doing and their ranking. And what are your page reads? Did you get this bonus? And that being what it all eventually becomes just a competition. And that is very natural. Like that's part of human nature is we want to identify with groups of people. We identify as authors. We want to gain status and hierarchy within that group. So we want to be competitive. We want to try and play these games, raise things out. But is that really what being like being an author is not about being competitive with fellow authors or trying to win against fellow authors. It's about creating the best experience for readers. That's why we all got into it. I hope, I don't think people got into being an author saying, I want to be like the best selling author ever. Like maybe, maybe that's a driving thing for you, but why an author? Like there's way easier ways to make money. Sorry. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Like, there's a lot of ways. So what drove you to do this? And I don't think it's, you know, something as simple as trying to beat someone out and get into the top 1,000 on the Amazon store. But why has everything become so gamified? Well, one thing is technology gives us the tracking ability. And the second thing is that Amazon benefits from creating these addictive systems. Yeah. I know authors who check their dashboards constantly. I used to do that. (laughs) I remember this was, this was toxic, but I had just taken a Facebook ads course from a, a very prominent figure in the space. And it was a great course. Nothing wrong with the course. What was wrong was what was going on in my head. I made a plan. My plan took a gap year. So I graduated high school like a year early. And my goal was by the time I was 18, I was supposed to go to college. I was going to be making $10,000 a month for my books in revenue. I d- didn't think 
fully from the profit point. I just wanted to hit that in revenue. And I was like my goal, like everything, my whole self-worth was riding on that number. Like I had to hit that number. So I'm building up my backlist for most of the six months of the year and like getting ready to like send it on ads. And I remember thinking, cause I'd saved up, I was working full time and saving up basically every penny I made. So I had like a budget for ads that was like several thousand dollars. And I remember thinking, well, this first month will work, right? So I want to like get this number fast. Like I have to get to 10K, right? So I'm just going to start spending, like I started spending like $5 a day. It was like kind of working. So I'm like, oh, let's just start spending $80 a day. And I remember like going to bed, right? Like I was like sleeping in my bed and I'm like, like literally like heart beating, like could not go to sleep because I'm thinking like this ad's going to turn on at midnight and I'm going to like have spent like $20 by the time I wake up. And I don't know if it's going to work out. So I woke up and money and this is where the horror story comes in. So the ranking went up, rank, rank goes up, rank goes up. And I'm like, whoa, dopamine, like feeling so good. And I remember like, it was my first day. Like I had to write, like I was writing like 4,000 words a day. So I'm like, okay, I got to get up and write. And then I like get 30 minutes into writing, like in the flow of things with this ads thing, stressing me out. I'm like, I got to go check my dashboard. I gotta make sure things are good. <laughs> check it out. Check the CPC. Okay. All right. Woo. Take a deep breath. Back to writing. 15 minutes later. I gotta check it. It, it, it became this, like terribly addictive thing. And I remember that for like the next five months of my life, I basically had a part-time job of checking the ads <laughs> dashboard. Aww. And it was horrible, but I know I'm not alone in that. Like I know, I know there's probably like, again, not everyone struggles with different things. Everyone's mind works a different way. But I bet like a, a plurality of authors have felt this feeling. And here's like the bad story, right? So the ranking went up, but it was for book one in the series. And we all know because apparently we've all emptied out our retirement accounts and give it to Jeff Bezos to spend in advertising and Mark Zuckerberg. Can't forget Mark. So we're all we're all giving these, you know, curly and bald haired billionaires our money to try and make it our dreams come true, which is very like valid, right? So we know that we can't make money off one book. Read through, right? So obviously I was like, well, I'm selling enough of book one. Like I'm not making money now, but I will make money. Like clearly I've hit the right audience. Ranking goes up, right? Like life's good. Except that by the end of that month, I basically sold none of book two. And I eventually woke up and realized like, I don't think like I would see more movement. Right. And like, I can't constantly being stressed because I'm like, when is that going to come into book two? I don't want to lose my ranking. I don't want to lose my momentum. I have to keep spending. Again, I don't think everyone's done this, but I did this. And it was all because once again, I had to hit a goal of reaching $10,000 by that August. It's like March now. And I'm like, I have to do this, right? And yeah, it was not very fun. I ended up not hitting it. And I ended up burning out all because of this crazy goal I set that had nothing to do the thing that mattered to me most, which was like writing good books. And I ended up spending like more of my time stressing about ads and trying to optimize click through rates and conversion than I was spending time creating really good stories. Yeah. And I probably lost two years of my writing career. We're always so hard on ourselves, but when those things don't work out or even me looking back at myself, what my goals were and what I did, and just don't be hard on yourself when things don't go your way or you don't achieve those goals or your goals change because they do. And as you grow and learn, they're definitely going to change, I hope. But it's really nice to 
finally, when you have a goal um, that is really important to you as a person and as an author, and it's like, I want to give my readers an amazing experience. And I want to write these books that are living in my head and these characters who won't stop talking to me. When you fall in love with like that, again, it's so refreshing and it's so nice. And that's the part I am in my journey right now. It's for the past two years, I've been like trying to chase these like lofty goals and grow as fast as I can. And I forgot the love I had for my stories and seeing people comment on my webpad and through my subscription, but I'm slowly getting back into it. And I'm just like, wow, like this is what I started writing for. And I love it. So yeah. I agree completely. <laughs> and the toughest thing about it, and I want to share a quote from Sean Patton, who is actually in the in the room right now listening in, or like somewhat producer at the moment, because I think this is really good. And he said, setting large goals doesn't really help, especially goals that you don't have control over. Yeah. Small attainable goals are better, like a goal to write a certain number of chapters today. You control over how many chapters you write. You don't have control over how well your books sell if they go viral. And that couldn't be more true. And a lot of times I understand that our desire is exactly what Amelia is saying. Like you're grounded in this place of really wanting to love the stories and to write, but there's these systems of validation where we want to feel like we write good stories. We, wanna, we don't want to feel like it's all meaningless. And, you know, this is where art and commerce collide. We've been validated through these systems that gamify this whole process through metrics and sales that sometimes aren't always as useful. Yeah. Does every book you buy mean the same thing to you? Me personally? Yeah. To you personally, to I, anyone listening. Yeah. No, for me, no. And not like even every story I write doesn't mean the same thing to me as either as a creator and an author. So, yeah. That's like almost the key in this. Like if you're trying to set goals, yeah. it's necessary to have if you're running a business, some sort of financial forecast. So you might need to set a yearly forecast for your revenue. Yeah. But I would purposely be conservative because you don't want to one, go under and risk your family and risk your own livelihood. You can plan maybe a target in a best case scenario, but really don't make that the North star, make your North star when you get up on every day. Cause you already know you've planned conservatively and life's going to be good pretty much almost no matter what, like as long as you, you know, stay alive and nothing crazy happens, like the business will keep going. Then you want to think about, okay, well, what is my goal on a day to day? What do I want my day to day life to look like and plan out what that looks like? Do I want to have flexibility to take on new projects that you can say, you know, by the end of a week, I want to know that there was at least one interesting, cool thing that I like learned more about, or maybe did that I wasn't planning on going into, or maybe every month. Maybe you want to stick to writing two to 3,000 words a day. Then make sure you do that. That that can be your goal. But I do think it can be very difficult when we, we get like specific page rankings and sales goals, a part of it. But it's tough, especially, I know, for authors who are starting out who are like me at this moment, like I'm not making much money for my books every month. I have long past my peak of a couple thousand dollars a month and it's petered out. And I know that, you know, you feel this pressure to want to make it to want to do it yeah. full time. But you have to realize that most people who make it full time don't do it full time for as long as you think. And I'd rather build a system and a process and an ethos that grounds me 
in something for the long term and be happy rather than being stressed out and miserable because I've lived that life. I know. Oh, I love this. And you have to, in, in your goals and in your planning, you have to plan to rest as well. It's so hard to get caught up and I have to work every day. I have to write every day because this is what I want. And like, that's a, like a good thing too. Like you want to succeed in writing and you want to get full time. But if you're not resting, like sometimes I have to force myself not to write for an entire day because I know if I take a day off, my I'm going to be so motivated the next day to write. And it's really refreshing. I don't know how some people do it, right? Like 10,000 words a day and just like do that consistently for an entire week. I would just go crazy. Yeah, no, that's the thing. I think we we sometimes plan these goals out and we think like every day is the same day. Yeah. And like maybe on your writing days, you want to write 3,000 words. But if you're writing 365 days a year, that's certainly not everyone's process. For me, I found that like when I'm writing, like I am writing, like I'm going to be in it writing maybe sometimes even 10,000 words a day. I can be very obsessive. That's how I like to work. That's what works best for me. But if I'm writing a book a month, every single month, yeah, that's wild. So I will typically write a book in a month when I actually sit down and draft it. And I'm not actually writing, like I'm maybe writing 20-ish hours a week. So I'm just finding time, scrapping it together. But if I did that every month and I have been in that place before, that made me feel like my life was like zombified. I was like living completely in a fictional world. And I'm like, I wanted to write fiction to be able to enjoy what I do, but also live. Yeah. And it felt like it took over my life. So there's a balance. And when you plan goals, you have to likewise plan like time for you to take care of yourself. Yeah. Just like Amelia said, and plan it in where it's non-negotiable. Like get someone who's keeps you accountable on that, just like you would get someone who keeps you accountable to writing. So that's to equally keep you accountable to like stopping taking care of yourself. I know how hard that is for the parents out there. Cause like, when do you get a day off from your kids? But I think that makes it even more important because if you're just writing and writing and writing nonstop and then trying to take care of your kids and have your job, you all of a sudden aren't like being present in the moments that you're in. It can happen very quickly. And just as important it is to support your family and, and make a living and, and to do your dream to be an author it's important to like experience these moments you will never get back with your kids growing up, even if they're like jerks sometimes, like, you know, they're going to grow up and life is short. That sounds really depressing, but like when we die, none of this money matters that we make from selling our books. Like what does matter? And that's like a very personal question, but you want to center your life around that. And if yeah. all you care about is selling books and making money, then like, that's cool. But I don't think I'm talking to you. I'm talking to the most of you who care about living what your idea is of a better life. And you have to think about that from day one, that vision, not of the island and the movie, all those easy dreams. You have to dream on like the day to day. We write these fictional stories that are climactic in which, you know, if you're writing romance, you meet your lover and you get swept away. Sometimes that lover bullies you, all these things, right? But like in real life, not in the story world. What does your real life day-to-day look like outside of the movies, outside of the cameras, outside of the stories we can tell ourselves? Like, what are you not escaping to? What does it actually look like? That's a super tough question to answer. But if you don't have a regular reflection on that, I think that you can lose sight of that very easily because the whole world wants to pull you away from that, right? The whole world has a different idea 
that yeah. it wants to impose on you. And kind of going off of that, like comparing yourself to other authors is something you should not do, especially when you're planning and setting goals, like, or even like yeah. comparing yourself to like where you were yesterday. I know a lot of authors who like, the first thing they do is sit down and write for a few hours and then they go do like marketing stuff. But me, my days like are personally like nothing like that. I write whenever I feel like writing and whenever like the stories come to me and sometimes I have to sit down and do my thing, but it's, it's really hard not to compare yourself to other people who have like, they're, they're like always talking about how consistent they are and they're like doing this every single day. And especially like, sometimes I'll look back on what I did yesterday and I'm like, wow, I got so much done, but today it's just like not that kind of day for me. So yeah, like comparing yourself just to others and where you were in a previous day or a previous mindset is definitely going to end up being toxic in the end for the most part. No, it's really good advice. And it's something too, where it's understandable to do that when we have dashboards and rankings and all these things at us 24 seven. And my only advice would be, it's better to have more knowledge of your sales than just a royalty check every six months, yeah. but it's the same curse to know it every second. And you have yeah. the power to be able to moderate how much you want to be even in tune to the world in this way. Like sometimes for me, I know it's natural that if I'm scrolling through things, I'm scrolling through Instagram. If you're scrolling through these social media platforms, you're going to just by nature compare yourself to others. Mm -hmm. So maybe you limit your time doing that, which is difficult, but yeah. I've done that myself. Like I don't really use social media really recreationally at all. And I don't feel like I'm, I feel like I'm doing my own thing, even if yeah. I'm not like, it, it feels like that. And that's a better place to be in, at least for me. I know I've stopped using social media for like, at least the social, I use it for business, but I don't really go and just like scroll because it's just, I find myself doing the same thing as just like comparing myself to other people. And I'm just like, that's not something I want to do. <laughs> like, it just makes me insecure. And it, it like feeds like my, all of these negative emotions I have. Um, and so I'm just like, that's something I'm going to step away from because I don't want to feel that way anymore. And I don't want to do that. I want to tell you a story about a flying fox. So the flying fox, many may know of the flying fox. It's a mythical beast that, had to tear down a bridge to even exist. But the locals wouldn't let it tear down the bridge. Didn't want the flying fox wrecking their neighborhood. The flying fox is the largest yacht in the world, or one of the owned by none other than the same man who created the bookstore that we're talking about, Amazon.com. <laughs> and Jeff Bezos, like, if you think about it, right? Like, I'm not trying to like psychoanalyze it at all, but let's psychoanalyze him. So <laughs> I think still being as successful as he is, he clearly is still caught up in trying to like have the bigger, you know, yeah. thing than the next person next to him. Very yeah. clearly he's caught up in that. And he chose to spend half a billion dollars on a yacht because I guess he could. He worked really hard to get there. He has the right to do this. I'm not saying he shouldn't. But is he happy now with that $500 million yacht? That's my biggest question. Or is he trying to create a new one? I know that most people who get into that game of buying the yachts and, you know, going to the Monaco Grand Prix and we're going to go to whatever. I think it's like, it's not Barbados, but there, there's like a New Year's spot. They're like the, the billionaire vacation. They're all flying around always. Most of the time, even once they get the private plane, they're looking at the new one. Most of these yachts are always for sale, always for sale. So I don't know if 
that's like an amazing way to live. Yeah. I don't know if that's an amazing way to live. And I don't know if it's authors, if we have to do that. And I'll just end with like Joanna Penn's advice on this, which is when thinking about your vision in your life, don't think you have to go one way. She says it's your author creator economy. And I yeah. think that's the most essential piece in this, right? Like we became authors to not have to climb a narrow corporate ladder that someone else tells us what we have to do. We can do that for ourselves. Yeah. That's the yeah. empowering part. The empowering part is that you, you can choose to buy yachts or you can do something else, but it is tough. And I think that when thinking about something more bigger and macro, because when planning, and we've talked a lot about like this psychological big stuff, your individual big stuff that's going on and thinking about the future. But what do you think about what's going on in the world right now? Like planning for the future of this industry and we can bring subscriptions into this. Like what do you think's coming and what do you think we should be aware of as authors specifically going into 2023? So one of the big things is AI and AI is one of the main reasons I'm shifting my entire business basically to subscription models, like every aspect that I can get, I'm going to try to shift it there. I'm still going to be on like the big retailers, still selling audiobooks, but I want the core of my business to be subscriptions and to be community because AI, as a lot of people have seen, is producing really amazing art. And eventually it might not be in the next year, might not be in the next five years, but eventually we're going to get to a point where these big companies who have all this data on our books that we've created are going to use that to create thousands of bestsellers every single day. And the market is going to be flooded with millions of books all the time, new, new books. And it's going to be really hard for authors if they're not focused, in, in my opinion, it's going to be really hard for authors if they're not focusing on building a community and a world around their stories. And through that, like, because I have that, that view and that's what I think is going to happen. That's where a lot of subscriptions comes in for me. That's going to be a place where I can host my community. That's going to be a place where people can connect with each other on my specific stories and not be like flooded with like a million different books and different covers every single day. It's scary. But yeah. I think it's also an opportunity because yeah. for all of history as authors, we have had other players have power over us. In the case of publishers, it was back when distribution was really important and they had the capital to distribute our books. So although stories are really what makes the world go around, stories are what people really care about. Somehow publishers ended up having power over us. In the age of the platform economy, we had platforms aggregate tons of data. Now distribution's easy, but discovery became something that was was more difficult. Being able to deliver consumers personalized content was more difficult. So they aggregated all of this data and that gave them power, leverage over us as authors yet again to be controlled. Now, what happens with artificial intelligence? Well, it's all based off of data, right? So the sad part is who has the power with this really are like, yes, we as authors can use things built on GPT-3, et cetera, but these publishers and who own, you know, have licenses, specific copyrights, and then especially platforms, they really have the data. They really do. And the opportunity in that is that humans don't actually care about data. Like 
we're not just like numbers constantly. Like it can be powerful. It can be a tool that we can use. But now that this whole world is changing, and I think that this whole space is becoming commodified, we're going to have a space for storytellers to truly rise and build our own platforms. And subscriptions is a wonderful way to do that. So the opportunity is actually like that. Yes, this sounds scary, but it's just change. And this change, I think, will lead to even more power being in the hands of storytellers. It's almost like the shift that we need for this all to become overrun because that means then we get to have our own home that now with technology being more ubiquitous, easier to use and direct selling and subscription payments possible. This is a, this is a future that is happening today. And I'm excited about it. I'm excited too. It is very scary to think about, but it's also very exciting to think about what you as an author can do with AI. Like you can create a lot of different forms of media, like translations or artwork, a lot easier. There's just definitely some repercussions or maybe not repercussions is not the right word. I guess ethics around it right now, but I don't think it's going away because if we use it or not, companies are going to use it. And so we just have to think about how we want to use it ethically as authors and as creators. I agree completely. And I think that it's, it's something that when we get to, again, chart our own path, there doesn't have to be one way of doing or using these things. And I think that at the end of the day, we build our stories, we create these things for other people. So I always want to keep like all people in mind, whether, whether you are an artist, a reader, or an author, I think it's important that we, we try and include all people in our future, no matter what it is. And I won't claim to know what it looks like, but I do think another important thing coming in 2023, because we're going to get into specifically planning your description, specifically things with focusing for 2023, but we're headed into some macroeconomic times. And I know I've gotten this question. So I wanted to ask you this question. Have you seen an uptick in people unsubscribing due to maybe they cite like financial reasons not being able to afford it? Is that something that you've seen? Yes, actually. Yeah. It's not a huge problem right now, but that is something I've seen going through those exit interviews on my subscription that some people are citing that. Yeah. I am feeling that in 2023 with the way the economy's headed. And I don't know if we're, I can't tell the future, but there's a potential that we see some down economic times. Usually books, a la carte book sales are pretty resistant during inflation because it's a cheap form of entertainment. I wonder if subscriptions have a bit more churn, increased churn with that. Because people will look just simply like, what, what am I spending on? Yeah. And the impulse purchase, they might always buy, but subscriptions aren't necessarily an impulse. Yeah. So I don't know. I would expect that to maybe be potentially more of a thing. That doesn't mean no one's going to subscribe to subscription, but it might make things growing a little bit less slowly for you. It might yeah. make things a little bit more difficult with a segment of your readers. I don't think it's going to be, at least right now, it's not a huge problem. And I don't know if it will be in the future. I don't think that's a reason not to start a subscription because the economy is eventually hopefully going to come back up and like we won't be in these like 
financially harder times. But if you can start building that like consistency and that even if it's a small community, it's going to be a community of people who are consistently like want to be in your world and and just have access to you. I think that's a great thing because once the economy does start coming up, you'll already have that really strong base of readers who, and, and that consistent, like, I guess what you, we were talking about, like planning, you'll already be consistent in the things you do there. Yeah. No, I think it's another situation where you want to plan for the future you want as an author and start creating yeah. that today. If you want to have your own home and a space to connect directly with your readers, there's no reason to, to necessarily wait because of this, but in terms of like number expectations, in terms of what revenue will you hit? Going back to that point, another reason yeah. that things are just out of our control sometimes, and it's not necessarily your fault, anyone's fault, just that things happen. But I also think that you're right. Building that core relationships now could be really key because if we think about just all forms of entertainment and ways you can find belonging, think about how much people spend to go to yoga classes, go to like gym classes, to be part of professional memberships and other sort of communities. People pay a lot of money to be part of these communities. And most of the time, even though subscriptions might be more expensive than buying books a la carte, you're getting more than just books. You're being a part of this membership, being a part of this community, having that deeper relationship. It's still such a great value. Um, yeah. for your readers. And I think and, that people will recognize that. In going off of that, you can even introduce like a free tier. So where people are still like in your community, they're still part of your subscription, but maybe some of the content that they get is free. And it, it's really just like, this would be really especially useful for people who are already kind of doing this like serial fiction, but instead it's all on one platform. So instead of them going back to that serial fiction platform, like WAP Powder Royal Road, they're in your subscription. And when they have the like funds to be able to subscribe again, it's very, it's very easy and very clean. And they don't have to like switch between multiple platforms. It's just like, you're getting it for free. If you want the next chapter, when you're ready for it, you can get it. That's a great point. But I also think that people may struggle doing that in a lot of subscription platforms because of how they're yeah. structured. So if you're interested in using a subscription platform that's built specifically for authors, if you're not already aware of it, you might want to check out Ream. A link's in the description. We'll be onboarding our waitlist of authors throughout all of the beginning of the year. So if you want to book a demo call with us, if you want to see what it looks like, definitely let us know. And we'd love to have you part of that. Because full disclosure, me and Amelia are building Ream along with Sean Patnode. He's actually... The software engineer behind it, the the featured insight that we had from earlier in the podcast. But yes, that's all I think very good advice. Now I want to close out just on offering some tips for people who are reflecting. How would you reflect if you've either had a subscription or haven't on how the past year has gone? Let's start there and then let's talk about how we can specifically plan things like whether you're making changes to your subscription or starting your subscription for the new year. How do you um, like reflect on the year or reflect on the last 90 days and see how is your subscription going? Terrible numbers. So a lot of my, a lot of my reflections don't include numbers, like specifically like how many people were in my subscription. What I like to reflect on is how I'm connecting with my subscribers and what I'm providing them and what I'm doing and my community and my subscription that really excites me. 
And a lot of that is like creating other forms of stories, like graphic novels or audio dramas, like those things really excite me. And so that's what I think a lot about during my reflection. You can't plan without reflection It is mm -hmm. my biggest thing. So I think you not only want to reflect on like where you just want to go. We talked about like not tangibly, but more like ethos wise yeah. lifestyle. But I think you also want to reflect on how it's been. And yeah. what I would always look to is, okay, in your life, are you able to make time for this? What time do you need for this? And will that time need to be adjusted? And then I'd look at what is the feedback that you've gotten so far? This is especially yeah. helpful for authors who already are along. Like if you have a business that's doing really well, what is going well about it? What are people liking? And yeah. what are you like? And where's that synergy? Because you want to do more of the things that you like and other people like. That's ultimately it. And when thinking about your subscription, I think that you want to keep things always small, focused, bite-sized, achievable, just like Sean said. So don't try and plan out this mastermind one year, 20 tier plan of how you're going to begin doing all these different things to your readers. But I would think about, huh, is there something that I'm excited to do? Yeah. A project that I have time for that my readers also seem excited for? Yeah. Is there an intersection there? And you'd be surprised at how many things could fall into that intersection because we like to box ourselves in as authors to the fictional world when in reality, our stories become part of our readers real world. And the beauty of subscriptions is being able to merge that. So not only can you maybe engage with your communities, maybe you could start doing a live stream each month with your readers, but you also can start creating things like travel guides, places in your books. You could do cookbooks, like recipe guides. You could get into so many different things. You could do merch. You can do things like book boxes. You can, I mean, the list, like there's literally dozens of things. I don't want to overwhelm people here, but when you think broadly about the power of story and what your business can do in the creator economy, what things excite you? What yeah. things do you want to give time for? Now, if you're getting started, my advice is very simple. I want you to spend most of your time writing, continue building up that backlist. But I think you need one way to be able to nurture relationships and you need one way to discover or find new relationships. And I wouldn't mm -hmm. do more than that. Maybe you want to nurture relationships with readers using a subscription just in your newsletter at first. Maybe you want to use it using a subscription sort of platform where you can kind of bundle that together with the community and your stories and your newsletter all in one place. And like we said, Reams, uh, an interesting place to do that if you want to, but there's other services too. Patreon's a popular one, even though it's not made for authors. And then my advice would be, where do you want to find new readers? Because it's always important to find new readers. Every business has churn, like every business ever, like people... People disappear at times, you know, go, go to the, the story world forever, which is sad, really sad, but it is something to think about. Like you will need to replenish your readers at some point. Word of mouth is a great way to do that with your existing readers, but still it's always going to get the word out there yourself. So what's one way you can do that one platform, one way that you can maybe post pictures on Instagram. Maybe you're into like blogging. Maybe you want to create TikToks. Don't feel like you have to do it all. Do one thing, one promotion thing one way to nurture your readers. And then maybe in between there, you're putting your books on Amazon or serial fiction onto places like Wattpad or, or Radish or Railroad. And one place to experience your stories or one thing you're doing, one thing to build a relationship with your readers, one way to find new readers, that's it. And even if I'm an advanced author who might be doing a few of these things, and I might have contractors and a team doing it. I would instead, when I look at the new year, still only think about one way I can 
focus on finding new readers. One way I can build a relationship with the existing readers and one way that, you know, I'm continuing to monetize my work because at the end of the day, it's nice to say you're on five different platforms, but if you can crush one platform and learn how to do TikTok really well, learn how to really well, learn how to run a really good subscription and have those things working together, you will be way better off than someone who knows how to do three platforms kind of good. Yeah. Way better off. It's especially, you were talking about feedback. I think that's really, really important. Even if you post like something that makes your f- the feedback that your readers give you anonymous, there's so many readers who don't want to tell you fi- like face-to-face kind of that something you're doing is not something that they like. I think that's that's most of it on the planning. Yeah. So I'm excited for everyone to be planning out their new year. And just one final advice is that when thinking about your strategy, your overarching vision, all that's important. Think about your planning, all that's important. But you should not be spending much time planning. You know, Amelia didn't plan much at all the first couple of years of her career. If you're in the beginning and feeling like you need to plan, you shouldn't be planning that much. At some time, it's necessary to plan a bit, but do not get into plan paralysis. Do not get into the plan of what is the best thing I can do and think about that a million times. You can do anything you enjoy. You can always test to and change. It's better to test, begin, and try things out and pivot quickly rather than just yeah. plan incessantly. Like that is the big no-no. Do not outline your book forever. You have to open it up. Just like you have to start not planning your marketing plan, but actually doing it at some point. You can't just plan your subscription forever. You actually have to start it. And that's the key. You have to eventually start these things. You can change at any point. You can change at any point. And no one's going to get mad. No one's going to be like, oh, well, they switched this thing up, especially when you're in the beginning. That's okay. Once you've established a brand, once you're further along, yeah, then you got to maybe start more having structure to things just because like if Amelia begins pivoting into like, I don't know, maybe sci-fi, that would be maybe a little weird. Maybe. Yeah. Depending if your readers might (laughs) not be a great use of your time. Maybe. I don't know. It depends, right? So all these things are things to think about. But I think think we'll leave it off there for this episode. And that's it from this one. How as self-publishers, we can plan for success in the coming year. I'm really grateful for your time listening to this podcast. And I hope that if you all are still at home during the holidays listening to this, especially if you're listening to this as it comes out, it's still the holiday season. I hope you have a great time relaxing and rejuvenating and just reflecting on the small moments with your family and loved ones. That's what I'm going to go get back to doing myself. So I'm going to say goodbye now. And in the meantime, don't forget, storytellers are the world. Thank you, everyone.